Hello and welcome to the WPAOG podcast. This episode features an interview with Brigadier General Shane Reeves, Dean of the Academic Board at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. B.G. Reeves serves as the 15th Dean of the Academic Board. Commissioned in 1996 from West Point, he served seven years as an armor officer in the 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment. After attending law school in 2003, he transitioned into the Judge Advocate General's Corps, where he served in several legal positions. B.G. Reeves taught for 10 years in the United States Military Academy's Law Department, most recently serving as its head. He has written over 30 articles and book chapters in academic publications, including on the topics of law of armed conflict and national security issues. B.G. Reeves' articles have appeared in various publications such as Foreign Policy, Lawfare, Just Security, and Articles of War. In this episode, B.G. Reeves talks about his path to becoming dean and running the academic program. He discusses the importance of rigor at the academy and experiencing missions beyond the classroom. B.G. Reeves also explains why the West Point Press and other margin of excellence initiatives hold essential roles at West Point. Now, please enjoy this interview between Brigadier General Shane Reeves and your host, Major Rene San Juan, Class of 2009. So we're here with Brigadier General Shane Reeves, the 15th Dean of the Academic Board. Sir, um, it's great to have you. Thank you, Renee. Excited to be here. So, sir, you've called West Point your home for over 10 years. And besides your awesome window view, what brought you to West Point and why have you stayed? So uh, I could not think of a more impactful professional opportunity to develop current and next generation Army officers than teaching at West Point and being part of the United States Military Academy. Uh, and that's really one of the main reasons I have stayed also over this this 10 plus years is it's really exciting to be able to watch cadets mature and develop while they're at the academy and then keep in touch with them and see how they're uh, leading and impacting the Army as they go out uh, and, and start to serve. What really generated the idea of becoming a permanent military professor at West Point began as, uh, as an academic slash practical opportunity I had while being in Iraq. And so what really generated the idea of being an academic grounded in practice, which is clearly needed to develop cadets intellectually, especially on the modern and future battle space, started on a deployment to Iraq a, a long time ago now. So I had this experience as a, a brigade judge advocate that made me the legal advisor to a brigade commander, and we'd had a pretty tough day. Uh, as a brigade. We had a couple of casualties on a day, um, including one of our first sergeants had been killed by an improvised explosive device. And so uh, my brigade went on a, a counteroffensive towards the west of a place called Taji, Iraq, which is north of Baghdad. And this was really the first time I had to advise my commander on ongoing military operations. And those would include targeting, it would include air assets, ground vehicles, and emotions, as you would expect, were running pretty high um, as American soldiers' lives were at risk. And again, we had just had casualties. And I saw the professionalism of everybody. Uh, and that really was eye-opening to see what a professional military looks like in a high-intensity uh, combat situation. And I really had to lean on everything I had learned and had, and had prepared for this experience. And what happened was there was a situation... And I won't go into specifics, but as the legal advisor, I have to 
provide the commander my best legal advice. And then obviously uh, also can give an opinion, even though the decision is ultimately the commander's. And so I had to give the commander my legal advice that no, uh, he could not do something uh, that he really wanted to do. And and again, it's, it was hard. It was really hard because he was uh, initially angry at my advice. But I recognized that this was my obligation and my duty because it was in, in actuality protecting him. It was also, of course, protecting the army while maintaining um, American values, which is, as John McCain once said, uh, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror each morning after combat when asked about how do we fight, why, why do we fight under uh, particular rules that may be construed as, as perhaps being disadvantageous. And this experience helped me understand what it, how difficult it was to serve in a combat environment, but it also really opened my eyes to something that I, I grew a passion for, which was the law of armed conflict. And the law of armed conflict, very generally, is a specialized body of international law that regulates uh, armed conflict or the conduct of hostilities. In a practical sense, I saw the importance of understanding the law, being able to advise on the law, and how that did do those things I'd hoped it would, which is protect the commander, protect the army, as well as maintain American values. And, and it also encouraged me to start thinking deeply about some complex topics. And simultaneous with what I was in this practical advising role I was doing, and I was doing it consistently, and that might have been my first time, but I did it a lot of situations thereafter was advising the commander on, on various difficult issues. I was oftentimes working in my spare time, writing and researching and publishing eventually, which was my first article under the advice of a, of a senior mentor. And I started to see that there was real value in, in having solutions that were both they were practical, but also critical and objective, and how these approaches worked hand in hand to make me both a better uh, advisor and uh, lawyer for my commander. And so I came out of that particular deployment with a lot of practical experience, which made me interested in delving into the academic side of the law of armed conflict. And it does have a really rich academic background, as again, it's a subset of international law. And so this generated an interest in joining academia, which I did by uh, becoming a, a member of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School's faculty in their International and Operational Law Department. And that uh, environment allowed me to teach and to mentor, uh, but also to prepare those that were going to be the practitioners that were going out into similar combat situations. But it also allowed me to bridge the need for a practical solution with academic depth uh, and this is really what I think uh, in, incentivized me and encouraged me and excited me about coming to West Point because I recognized West Point was a place where I could continue to get after my objective, which was to influence and impact future generations, help the Army be, have a place where I could continue to serve, uh, but really where I could look at getting some creative, deep thoughts on potential solutions, but making sure those solutions are objective and practical and in implementation. So, sir, um, you know, fast forwarding now to West Point, and here you are running the academic program and thinking about how these experiences, which I mean, sounds, you know, very formative as young as your captain years have developed you. How do you take that and translate that into the academic program? So, it's moments like I described, which is just a snapshot that a lot of other faculty at West Point have had. 
that really illustrated how crucial education is for developing officers to be able to think on their feet, but it also demonstrated the importance of providing an intellectual foundation so that young officers are able to successfully able to navigate the complexities and uncertainties and ambiguities of the modern and future battle space. And so really, in, in fact, the rigor of the academic program has really been one of my main focuses as the dean. And so when you ask, well, how those formative experiences, how do they inform how I approach being the dean here? I really think it's critical that we provide that intellectual foundation to our cadets while also encouraging them to be lifelong learners who who can satisfy intellectual their own intellectual curiosity so that they're not just thinking tactical but operationally and strategically. So thinking about how we get after that, and you mentioned rigor. So let's talk about rigor, sir. You know, we all sure. know that graduates are fiercely protective of rigor <laughs> at the academy. <laughs> so True. how is the academy ensuring cadets are challenged academically? Well, first and foremost, uh, we don't intellectually coddle cadets. I mean, it's it's very simple. We don't hide any topics from our cadets. There is nothing we will not discuss. There is uh, an expectation that cadets will be pushed intellectually. Matter of fact, we have an obligation. We simply don't have the luxury to try to navigate or or, or circumnavigate uh, particular topics because uh, we need our cadets to be challenged uh, in all areas, of course, but but in the classroom, it's really critical that they're challenged by their professors and their peers. But we do expect our cadets to be able to engage each other in an open and, and rigorous debate and discourse, but be able to do so in a respectful way such that they can walk out of the classroom and understand that you know, if they disagree with a, a peer or a professor, they do that first off respectfully, but also recognize, hey, we can disagree on a topic, but it doesn't mean that we're not all on the same team or we don't have the same underlying values. Um, in fact, you know, if I'm teaching cadets, uh, I oftentimes will take the opposite view on whatever topic they happen to be advocating for just to push them uh, because it's not it's not about teaching them what to think. This is not indoctrination. Education is teaching them how to think, how to deal with uncertainty. And we only can do that if they aren't binary in their thinking, that they understand how to operate in in a gray space. And so that's why we provide this broad intellectual foundation. And that intellectual foundation starts with a, a robust core curriculum that ensures every cadet will take philosophy and history, but also calculus and an engineering sequence. And like what most uh, West Point graduates know is that the robust core curriculum, which is 24 courses, is difficult and it's hard. um, And it's also very broad. It's a very, very broad core curriculum. And that's intentional because we want our our officers to be able to take into account different disciplines and and different approaches to problem solving when confronted by by some ambiguous case of first impression. And so this, I believe, strongly enables our cadets to successfully navigate, as I said, all those complexities and uncertainties that define the modern and future battle space. But it's also critical that our officers have developed lifelong learning skills. We don't want them just to be tactically proficient intellectually. We don't want them to be transactional in how they approach uh, a problem. I want them to be operational strategic. I want them to be critical thinkers that are capable of thinking in, in a lot of different 
uh, ways about how to solve a problem. And that really comes through working across disciplines in a truly interdisciplinary way, which is what the, the broad core curriculum really encourages. Get into, you know, we're speaking a lot about the core curriculum and what's going on in the classroom. Let's let's talk a little bit beyond the classroom. What's what's going on yeah. there? So when you start talking about outside the classroom, I think this is one of the things that truly sets uh, the West Point academic program apart is that over the last probably 25 years, roughly, give or take, uh, we have really recognized that experiential or project-based or applied learning um, has become a bedrock of our learning model. It's equally as important as we would say the Thayer method, uh, because this is how you push cadets to continue to grow and learn. And this is special at West Point. I mean, it's truly special because it's unheard of at an undergraduate level that you have the opportunity to do some of the experiential learning in a very focused way on real world problems. And so the West Point cadets are working directly with, you pick it, army leaders, army units, industry, et cetera, uh, you know, other, other institutions of higher education to gain exposure as well as work directly on problems uh, facing the Army. Um, and so really, the way you think about it is in the classroom when the textbook ends, that is just the beginning at West Point. And I, you know, I, again, you think through some of your own formative experiences. I remember I was a history major at West Point, and I loved it. But I think perhaps the most impactful academic experience I had at West Point was when I had the opportunity to go to Europe study a number of different battlefields and, and go to some various locations. And you really got to see and think through and talk about the things you had learned in a, a more hands-on way. Uh, and so really this experiential and project-based learning is not just a supplement to the education. It's not just a, something that complements it. It's now a critical, critical component of how we uh, prepare our uh, graduates to be, um, to be successful intellectual officers. And a great way to take advantage of learning more about what projects cadets are working on is, is you can follow our website, you can follow our social media. And I really think the Super Bowl for us uh, when it comes to the academic program is what happens near the end of the academic year, which is called Projects Day. And Projects Day is really an applied research symposium of just greatness. I mean, just awesome stuff where you see cadets, you know, they're talking about high energy lasers and the ability to apply that to potentially offensive ways against low orbit satellites. You see cadets working on hypersonic missiles. You see cadets um, arguing particular theses uh, on, on controversial and difficult topics. I mean, it's really an awesome experience. I encourage anyone to come uh, to West Point at the end of April when we typically have Projects Day to see the greatness of the cadets and how they have taken what they've learned in the classroom, applied it to a real world problem, and then have to advocate under, uh, you know, a pretty a pretty rigorous analysis um, why what they've done has been worthwhile and helpful. Sir, you're from the great class of 1996, as you often um, <laughs> call it. And that's correct. Could you have imagined the level and complexity of work that cadets are doing today when you were a cadet? I couldn't, I couldn't imagine that, but I also couldn't imagine, and no one really can, the way the contemporary battlefield has evolved. I mean, this is similar to what we, what I was saying before, where we don't have the luxury to intellectually coddle cadets. West Point 
has an extraordinarily powerful academic program that that resides in the middle of the Department of the Army. And the Army recognizes increasingly that West Point is the intellectual engine of the entire Army's innovation efforts. And, they, and, it's, and it's wise. It makes sense. We have this great concentration of PhDs from all these different disciplines and and and, uh, and we have this blend of excellence between rotating military faculty who have just come from the operational force and can tell you what the, the real world issue is that they're facing. Drones in Ukraine, you, know, you pick it, right? Uh, and then you have this, um, you have this great civilian faculty that have intellectual depth and they are experts in their fields. Uh, and recognize as experts in those fields and also understand what it means to teach. And then you have your permanent military that bridge those two worlds and you put all of that together uh, and it doesn't just educate and inspire and train the cadets to greatness, but it also spins off a lot of great ancillary research opportunities for faculty and cadets. And those research opportunities are being pursued by, by the greater army because it recognizes the need for some creative and innovative and and unusual solutions to the complexities of the modern battle space. And I think you see this with how West Point is leading the way in in just two of our newest majors. If you look at data science and space science, these are clear recognitions that warfare has changed. Like warfare now requires data-centric officers because the military that is capable of collecting processing, analyzing, and applying data will have an absolute military advantage. And and we know that. The U.S. Army knows that. And West Point sees that. And we're providing officers in, in that space. And not that's not much different than the newest domain of warfare, which is space. And I could keep going. You could look at cyber. Ten years ago, uh, we didn't have a cyber science uh, major, and we didn't have a cyber branch. And now West Point provides 40 to 45 cyber officers a year with an extraordinary technical background because West Point is expected and we need to be leading the Army in terms of uh, educating and developing our future officers for this these uh, emerging threats and emerging domains of warfare. So what I'm hearing here is that this blend of excellence um, amongst the faculty really enables West Point to continue to modernize so that it can re- it can meet these threats and these challenges. And I know that one, you know, in the fall edition of the West Point magazine, we, you and I had the opportunity to discuss your priorities as the dean. And in our interview, you discussed, uh, you know, numerous initiatives, um, one of which is the West Point Press uh, and, and thinking about how that ties into continuing to develop this, this blend of excellence um, within the model. And so why don't you share with our listeners where that idea came from and, and why it's so important to the academic program? First and foremost, it's, we have to be honest and recognize that we're in a highly competitive environment for talent when it comes to higher education. Demographic trends show a decreasing number of applicants to college. Uh, there's all types of other trends that are that are requiring institutions of higher education to be able to show their value and their worth. And so West Point needs to be competitive, and we are with those institutions that we benchmark against, which academically, it's the best schools in the country and the world. But one of the things that I realized was uh, oftentimes one of those competitive advantages is having a university press. I mean, if in the world of higher education, having a university press provides a competitive advantage. 
And this became really clear to me in a couple of situations. One time, I was not that long ago, had a book. And on the book, I looked at the cover. I was like, oh, this is great. It was by one of our faculty members. And on the front was a big West Point crest. And the colors were West Point colors. There was, And then I flipped to the, the spine. And it was printed by another university. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. We're, we're creating and generating intellectual capital and just forfeiting it to others during in an era of high competition in higher education. And then similarly, I had the experience when I was in the Department of Law, and I was the co-director of the Libra Institute for Law and Land Warfare. Uh, our team started a, uh, a book series called the Libra Series, which is on its 10th volume. And these are exceptional books with exceptionally talented authors, uh, topics that are cutting edge. And similarly, we built it, but we were consistently giving the intellectual uh, capital that we were generating either through monographs or compilation editions to another university press. And it just doesn't make sense to me because having a university press incentivizes your faculty to do research. It elevates your school in terms of um, competing with other schools of higher education. Yeah, but more importantly, I look at it as an exhaust pipe for that thing I just discussed a few moments ago, which is West Point being that innovation, uh, the intellectual engine of the Army's innovation initiatives. Uh, this allows for West Point to capture so much of the great work it's doing and then export it in various ways. And the West Point press acts as, an, as broader than just your traditional print press of monographs and compilation editions. It also captures uh, undergraduate journals. It, it captures your podcasts and your webcasts and, and your blogs. It has your digital press. And then it also can act as a place for information papers. And so really the West Point Press is serving as the publishing arm for the entire United States Military Academy, which is increasingly important as West Point positions itself as that intellectual center and competes in higher education. And I think this is a, a testament to the Academy's leadership's desire to not only remain a top-tier institution that attracts and retains the very best cadets and faculty, uh, but it also is an indication of our interest in providing comprehensive yet uh, well-articulated solutions to, uh, to many of the Army, the Department of Defenses, um, and the nation's biggest issues. Great, sir. And as we discussed, this is just one of many initiatives um, you know, to make sure that West Point's producing strategic thinkers for the Army. And so another major initiative that you have this year is focusing on an academic theme for the year called Called to Serve, Military Leadership in a Democratic Republic. What inspired the concept for this academic theme? First off, I find great importance in grounding the academic year in a theme to emphasize throughout the departments and all of our directorates uh, that educate, train, and inspire the importance of inspiring uh, our cadets and faculty to think through the big issues of the day. And, and perhaps one of the biggest issues of the day for, for the military and for officers in particular is really civil military relations. And when thinking about how to address looming questions related to stewarding our military profession during uh, high, uh, clearly highly polarized times, the concept of civil military relations became an obvious opportunity to focus at the nexus of uh, academia, professionalism, and what West Point's uh, hallmark is, character development. 
so it wasn't a surprise to me that I had countless leaders uh, and experts and cadets and staff and faculty calling, emailing, and texting me about this topic and just asking some basic questions. And some of those basic questions were, what is West Point doing about this? What does West Point think about this? And what is West Point doing to educate our, uh, our cadets? And so, you know, when you think about our environment, from budget to regulation to personnel to recruiting talent, it's really affected by the relationship between military and civilian leaders and our relationship with the American public. So having a better understanding of that environment will make our cadets and, and our staff and faculty and all of us that are here more effective. Questions that the, the theme is exploring. The first thing that we really approached was what should be the role of the military officer inside of the a military that is clearly civilian controlled? How do you um, navigate this hyper-politicized environment yet stay nonpartisan? What can you and can you not say? What should be the obligations of senior officers upon retirement? I mean, these are really, really difficult questions. So we stepped away from that and said, let's let's first just try to figure out what we mean. <laughs> like, what do we mean by civil military relations? And because different disciplines look at civil military relations differently. Uh, lawyers think about authorities. Political scientists may think about the structures of government. Uh, sociologists think about cultures, right? Military culture versus civilian uh, society, uh, et cetera. And so there's so many questions that were being asked and discussed. And so what we've done is we've really tried to explore some of this. And we just really started uh, this year. But we really want to try to teach our young officers how to navigate an exceptionally partisan environment, how to be a professional and be able to continue to lead when people come from such uh, different backgrounds. Uh, we need to ensure that um, they understand how the military maintains the trust of the American people and its civilian leaders. And how should leaders talk to soldiers about politics? And how do we recruit and retain talent? I mean, there's, I could just keep going on so many of these, you know, so many of the questions that we're trying to address and trying to just at least start a discussion on so that we can help not just our cadets, but so much of the of the military community navigate this uh, difficult space. And so we've been, you know, as an academy, been very fortunate from, especially from our graduates that continue to give back and will um, support speaker series and, and various different events held here at the academy. So do those get incorporated into the theme? Uh, how do we see this playing out over the year? First off, it is consistent throughout the year. Uh, so pragmatically, uh, that might be through speaker series. So yes, that would be through uh, oftentimes, you know, through an endowed speaker series or through the generosity of a, of a particular donor who would support that. But we also have fireside chats. Typically, I will lead those fireside chats, have a conversation with an individual who, um, who has insights into this world. Our first one this year was during our convocation with General Martin Dempsey, who's class of 74 and was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, where he gave an, I mean, a phenomenal conversation for our cadets and staff and faculty in attendance about this topic and just gave some real insights into the, the complexities and difficulties of being a real senior military leader in this, in the, in this type of environment. Podcasts, and you'll start to, you'll see a lot of publications. Um, 
and, and there's a lot more. But throughout it all, the academic program uh, will clearly explore how to best steward our military profession and understand the officer's role and influence on soldiers, the army, and our political leaders. And uh, I think what you'll find at the end of the year is we've already started to consolidate some some lessons that we've learned by trying to address some of these more difficult problems by bringing in external experts and external retired military officers and some uh, retired uh, or uh, external policymakers and having them just talk to our senior leaders. Uh, and I think out of that, there's there's obviously some lessons learned, but I think we might also you know find some basic principles uh, for officers to to follow. And so really through all our efforts, uh, we're, just, we're really trying to, we're striving to inspire our cadets and uh, army officers to dedicate some of their academic and professional efforts to this greater purpose of enriching and stewarding our profession. And this isn't limited to uh, a particular discipline or a particular department. It, this, is, this is required of all leaders um, across the academy. And that doesn't just include it in the academic program. It is all leaders that we help understand what it means to be an army officer and what that means inside of our, our form of government and then how we can help steward our profession in the way that is, is necessary uh, to remain a democratic republic. So this is certainly a, a crucial and, and critical topic for not just the academy, but the army and the nation. Um, it's clear that there's a lot going on in the academic program, which is our, our short discussion oh, yeah. here today. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but what sort of content should listeners be looking forward to coming out of future episodes? You know, I just happen to be holding in my hand, Renee, the latest edition of the West Point Magazine for all, all <laughs> right, 2022. Right. <laughs> and if you look through it, if you look through it, you're going to see a lot of uh, academic program uh, initiatives, and it's exciting. I mean, I mean, it's an exciting time. Uh, at, at West Point, um, as we do a lot of different things. I mean, the opportunities really are endless. Uh, we, you can definitely be on the lookout for content related to our annual theme, but you should also really, uh, if you're interested in, in West Point, the key, the center of gravity are cadets, right? And, and cadets are exceptional. Um, I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to go to AUSA, where I was able to highlight numerous cadet projects. And it is shocking how incredible our cadets are and the work that they're doing and the, and the, um, and, and the intellectual capital that they are giving back to the Army right now as undergraduates is not just humbling but, and exciting, but it also just, it just makes you realize that if you have any questions about the direction of this country, if you have any concerns about how the U.S. Army is doing, if you have any concerns about is West Point meeting its mandate, uh, the answer is unequivocally yes. If you are around a cadet for for one or two hours, you're like, things are pretty good. We're in good shape. <laughs> West Point hasn't failed in its 220 years in leading our Army uh, when necessary in the most difficult uh, circumstances. And it's not going to happen now. That's going to be driven much by these cadets and how we are developing them intellectually. And if we and if that doesn't happen, then um, then you know we we take that seriously. We failed, and we're not going to let that happen to the best of our abilities. But you know, um, I'll tell you for all of those that that miss West Point, I know a lot of them do. I know a lot of you out there <laughs> miss West Point, right? Uh, you can look forward to hearing from some of our prominent visitors 
to give uh, inside access to the broad exposure our cadets and faculty are fortunate to have. And, and that's just the starting point. There, there is so much going on um, at West Point in the academic program. And, and, I, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention there are some exceptional things happening in all of the other pillars on the, on the, uh, on the comm side, USCC side, on the athletic fields. Uh, on the in the character domain, um, the holistic education of our cadets is exceptional, and I am biased, but that doesn't make me wrong. It is <laughs> the best education that a young person can receive in the world is uh, is the development that is achieved through West Point because it's not just we today we've obviously focused on the the intellectual development of the cadets and and how exciting that is. But they're also learning a lot of other skills that that are important in uh, in life, also, um, and those include learning how to lead peers, how to prioritize time, how to push yourself physically, and then be able to reorient to think through something that's difficult intellectually. And I could continue to go on, but the model that we have done, the model that we have adopted over the years, continues to get refined, and the product, which is the cadets that walk across the stage on graduation days is good or better than it's ever been. And I have full faith and confidence that when they walk into the army, they're not just capable of leading our formations, but I'm absolutely certain that when push comes to shove, they'll be able to fight and win. Well, thanks so much for, for taking the time to, to speak with us today, sir, and to give us an inside view as to what's going on in the academic program, your priorities, and, and really what we can expect for at least the remainder of your tenure as dean. Thank you for having me. And I'm excited to, to have been here. And if there's at any point, anyone who's out there listening would like to hear, hear about a particular topic in the academic program, uh, feel free to reach out to AOG and, uh, and let us know. And I'm, I'm happy to address it. Great. Thanks so much, sir. This has been a production of the WPAOG Broadcast Network. Please take a moment to rate and review the show and join us each week for a new episode. Thank you for listening.